You're listening to the Aaron J. Dodson podcast. I'm Aaron, and this is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word and subjects related to it, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and observe it with all of our hearts, according to the principle of Psalm 119, verse 34. In this podcast episode, I want to share some thoughts that I've been thinking about lately and a little bit of research that I have found from God's Word in response to that question, or multiple questions actually that I have, that I had in regard to Satan, our enemy. I had some questions in my mind for a long time, but why does Satan wage war against God and humanity the way that he does? And I added to that question some other questions that are tied to that and sent those questions to several of my, what I consider to be highly qualified Bible teachers that I love and appreciate and respect. But before I go further in those questions and share my thoughts, I want to give you the reason why this started. Recently, a good friend of mine was preparing to teach on the subject of Satan, and he uh, messaged me and also spoke to me uh, and said, you know, he asked me some things about Satan, Satan's origin, uh, Satan's character, his, his, his mission, you know, the work that he's doing, and he spoke of why he thought it was important that we understand to the best of our abilities who Satan is and what his capabilities are so that we can be better prepared, you know, as we serve God, as we live the Christian life. And I thought that was a very wise approach. It was a very uh, not only sincere question, but a question that I could see on the face, even thinking for just a few moments. This is important. And as my friend said to me, he said, you know, when someone goes to war, they have to study their enemy. In an athletic competition, they study their opponent. We need to know as much as we can about Satan so that we can be better suited in the battle against him. Now, for those in Christ, we have the blessed promise that we are not alone in this battle. Uh, we have the provisions of Christ, and we can uh, fight in the Christian battle we can fight the good fight, as Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we can, through Christ, overcome in this life, and that will lead us to the next life and the reward to come in the eternal state. So let me get back to my question or questions that I sent out, and it's going to take me a minute to scroll through a few of these individuals, but I want to share uh, some of these responses. I'm going to read my questions, share some of the responses that I got from some of my friends that I thought was worthwhile sharing with my listening audience, because I appreciate you all, and I thought that you all would uh, enjoy this. So here's the way I worded the question. I said, why do you think Satan wages his war against God and humanity the way that he does? And this was my question, okay? This is not somebody sent me a question. This is my question. Is he ignorant of his eternal fate? We would say no, 
because it seems the demons knew there was coming a time of judgment. Does Satan actually think he can beat God? We would probably say no. So why is he fighting the way that he is? Is it just because of his pride and anger? That's a, about a four or five sentence text that I sent out to a number of my, what I consider to be highly qualified Bible students and Bible teachers that know the Bible well. And let me, before I give some of, my, some of the responses I receive from some of my advisors and some of my friends, students of the Bible, let me define a few more terms. When I asked, why is Satan waging his war against God and humanity the way that he does? Is he ignorant of his eternal fate? Would, we would say no because the demons seem to have knew or known that there was coming a time when they would be judged. I get that from Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 30, or excuse me, Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. And I'm not going to read all that, but this is an account in Matthew where Jesus healed two demon-possessed men. And I'm going to read verses 28 and 29, just the first two verses. When he, that's Jesus, had come to the other side, that would be of the Sea of Galilee in the context, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him, there met Jesus, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, I haven't stood, I hadn't done a deep dive study on that and considered every other verse that might relate to that and so forth. But I'm just thinking that uh, that's sufficient evidence that the demons knew or know something about the fact they're going to be judged by Almighty God. Now, how much they know about how you know, God has prepared hell for the devil and his angels, uh, as Jesus said, Matthew 25, 41. But when I asked those questions, I wanted you to know some of the background there of why I would say, I don't think Satan's ignorant of his eternal fate. Because even the demons knew there was coming a time when they would be tormented. Does Satan actually think that he can beat God? And the reason I, I said my original question, my original message to my friends, we would probably say no, is because Satan, although the father of all lies, the, the worst individual ever, although he is the worst individual ever, he's not, he's not ignorant. Or stupid. Now, there may be some things that he is ignorant of, perhaps, but because I don't, he, he doesn't know all things. I'm not, I'm not hinting at that. But while there may be something or some things he is not aware of right this moment, he is not stupid. Uh, he was, he was created, and he knows he was created. 
I don't believe he was created wicked because God created all things. And when he created all things, he said it was very good. And that would include the angels. And he gave the angels free will, no doubt. And they chose, uh, some of them, to follow Satan in his bad choice. Um, all right, let me get to some of the responses. I know you're thinking, well, Aaron, are you going to read that? Yeah, I am. I could, I could go on with some of this. You know, Second Peter uh, mentions about the angels, Second Peter 2.4, and then uh, in another letter there just before Revelation, you got Jude, verse 6, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So those... Those angels, along with Satan that fell, that did not keep their proper domain, God has reserved for the judgment of the great day. Wow, okay. He's not, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't, how much of that judgment he knows, I'm not sure. I might learn some more as I continue to study there, but I don't think that Satan actually thinks he can beat God. So I asked, so is he fighting the way he is against God and humanity just because of his pride and his anger? Because, again, Scripture tells us that he was full of pride. One of the qualifications to serve as a pastor, an elder, a bishop in the church is that that said man not be a novice, a new convert, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the condemnation as the devil. <clears throat> Pride appears to have been Satan's problem, and no doubt, and no doubt, still is. And he no doubt has anger because pride brings anger, and sin breeds anger. So again, I ask the question. Now I'm going to start giving my responses and share these very interesting responses with my listeners, you who are patiently listening. So I asked, why do you think Satan wages his war against God and humanity the way that he does? Is it because he's just prideful and angry or what? And one of my friends responded. He said, why do hate-filled people do anything they do? <laughs> and I like that response. It's like, because they're full of hate. <laughs> I didn't even directly respond to that message because I was busy at that time. But I'm like, yeah. yeah. Why do any hate-filled people do the things that they do? Because I think they're filled with hate. Now, let me share another um let me share another message with you. Why do you think? I'm searching my text messages so I can <coughs> see the different individuals that I messaged. One individual responded with Revelation 12.12, 12, which says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a little time, or a short time. This individual, my friend, wrote, The only way the devil can get at God is to go after his children. 
Ephesians 4.30, Genesis 6.6. 6. Also, without Satan's persecutions, we could not have our faith perfected. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, James 1, 2 through 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I'm not expecting you to take notes on all those. I'm just, I want to keep the original responses as they are. Satan is rotten to the core, John 8, 44. Some folk are evil for the sake of being evil, to which I said, thank you for your input. Now, I'm not sure if Revelation 12, 12 is saying exactly what he's saying it says, or if I understand exactly what he's saying he thinks Revelation 12, 12 says. I looked at Revelation 12, 12, and I'm thinking in its context, it has to do with Satan knowing his time with Rome and uh, her wicked emperors persecuting the early church in the end of the first century. His time was short with them. But be that as it may, I like this response. He knows, Satan knows, that the devil, the only way he can get at God is to go after his children. And you can see that from the very beginning with Adam and Eve and all the way through. And you can look at Genesis 6-6, or at least consider Genesis 6-6. Probably most of us are familiar with it. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, which says, and, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Why? Because the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continually, Genesis 6, 5. Yeah, he's getting at God, I think. And I think that's, I think that's a, a good response, something to consider. God created the heavens and the earth and mankind and everything in it. And he knew, if he knows everything about everything, and he does, then he knew Satan would do what he has done and that mankind would do what mankind has done and that he would send his son, etc., all that. He knew all that and he had that plan and he worked that most beautiful, incredible plan. And God knew that within that whole paradigm, if you will, that whole scheme of redemption, without Satan's persecutions, we could not have our faith perfected. And, and that includes our Lord's sufferings. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, speaking of the priest who is after the order of Melchizedek, which is Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Jesus suffered and was perfected in Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, and other places in Hebrews emphasizes his sufferings to be the perfect and great high priest. And a similar concept is true of us, not to be the great high priest, not to be the Son of God, obviously, but to perfect our faith. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So we are to live in the steps of Jesus, walk in the steps of Jesus, and that means we will suffer following his example. He did not sin. He didn't, he didn't, there was no deceit in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. There are a number of passages like this that teach this great truth that part of God's great scheme was to allow these sufferings to perfect our faith, including James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, knowing that you may, excuse me, not knowing, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we're to let patience have its perfecting work as we go through these trials. And there's no trial that's taken us, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with the trial, he will make the way of escape that we might be able to bear it, that we may be able to bear it. And so, there we have it. There we have it. Satan, I think, is getting at God by going after his creation and his spiritual children. And without Satan's persecutions, we could not have our faith perfected. And since Satan is the father of lies, he's rotten to the core, maybe he's just doing evil for the sake of evil. Well, yeah, I I think that's part of it. I do. Let me continue in sharing some of the responses that I received that I think you'll like. Short, simple. I like it, though. Another friend responded to my question, why do you think Satan wages his war the way that he has and the way that he is? Is it just because of his pride and his anger? This individual said, I think pride and anger are likely the motivators. Misery wants company, and I like that. Another, uh, let's see if I can find this. Another friend of mine responded to my question and said, I think Satan knows God has him beat. So he comes to get us. For example, he can't stop God from answering a prayer, but he can stop us from asking. I like that thought too. Another individual responded to my text. He said, I, I, I think it's, dear, it's because of sheer hate that Satan wages his war against God and humanity the way that he does. He said, I mean, look at our society right now. People know what is right and wrong because they're so intimidated by what is right. They fight back because of hatred of God and his church. Satan has lost ever since the cross. And the only way he can do anything is by attacking what God loves humanity, and the church. To which I responded, I think that's right. Thanks for your input. I like that. I think it's good. Another individual I messaged, I asked the same question. Again, same question to each individual, but another friend, another response. He said, I think it's the want of power he does not have. Okay. Let me let me reread this. The want of power he, Satan, does not have will cause 
him, anyone, to desire the destruction of others. Even though one or Satan knows that defeating them is impossible. He went on later to say, unfortunately, there are times that we might act as though Satan has equality with God in power and in presence. Satan is limited. The more like Christ we become, the less power and presence we give Satan in our own lives. To which I said, Amen. But the want of power that a person does not have will cause them to desire the destruction of others, even though that person knows um, that defeating them or having that power is impossible. Another individual responded to my questions by saying, I would say pride and anger and the desire to make man doubt God. And I like that response. I think that's the same. To, uh, doubt is such a huge tool that Satan uses, doubt. And it's not wrong to question things. We should question things. We need to, we need to, let me address that from Scripture. Doubting with irreverence, with no concern for the heart, uh, for the heart's condition or uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, that's a, that's a very serious problem. But to question because we want to know the truth, to scrutinize, to test all things, that is not bad. But Satan is not trying to get us to test things. He's trying to get us to doubt. First, let's see, where is it? First Thessalonians... 521, test all things. King James says prove. The idea is test. Test all things. Hold fast. Hold on to what is good. There you go. Again, this last responder said, I would say pride and anger and the desire to make man doubt God. And then this last phrase that this friend gave, I like. He said, Satan wants our end to be like his. I, I, I agree with that. Satan wants our end to be like his. He wants us to suffer in that misery with him. Misery loves company. Satan. In the words of our Lord, get behind me, Satan. You know what I'm saying, dear listener? Yeah, I know why you're listening to this, in all likelihood, because you love the Lord and you love His Word, and you don't care for Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I love the words of our Lord there. Oh, how we need to say those same things and live by them and mean them. Another good friend responded to my questions by saying, we know from 1 Timothy 3, that's the passage I already mentioned, that pride is his primary problem. He said, I would say that Satan is ignorant willfully of his final condemnation. <clears throat> and this friend said, I'm going to give you an example of this. And I actually mentioned this one example that I'm about to give now on the 2x2 two two podcast that I do first and third Mondays 
uh, with Brock Kendall and others. He said, there's an individual that I know of that loved to fight. And he would fight anyone, anywhere, anytime for no reason at all. He picked a fight with a guy who was on the uh, Alabama strength staff for the football team. That guy beat him to a bloody pulp. Beat him up so bad they had to stitch up his face in the emergency room. The very next night, as that guy that just got beat up went back through town, he saw the guy that had just beaten his brains out the night before. And the guy that just got his face stitched up and beat in, he looked at the guy that punched him dead in the eye and said, you ain't nothing. Now that individual that got beat to a bloody pulp and said those words like he did to that individual later, he is nearly a perfect picture of the devil's pride. That individual got beat down and still had no respect for the one that beat him. The devil was cast down, my friend said in this response, this text response. The devil was cast down and still has no respect for the one who cast him down. Ah. Good response, my friend. Another friend of mine added a few thoughts that I'd like to share. Some of these things are similar. But uh, I would like to share them with you. I think I just have. Let me look real quick. I think I only have one more response here that I can see. Again, in response to my questions, why, why do you think Satan wages his war against God and humanity the way that he does? Is it just because of his pride and his anger? What's the deal? This friend responded and said, I think so. Misery loves company, as they say, and it seems his pride and anger toward God that led him to go against God in the first place caused him to seek to do as much harm to God as he possibly can. I have no doubt that he knows his fate and knows he is utterly powerless against the Almighty. So if you know you can't even begin to oppose God himself and you're hardened in your rebellion, what do you do? You go after his mo- your, God's most loved and treasured creation, humanity. God knows all and sees all. Through any and every lie, God sees through it, that every lie that the devil may spin. But man, we are often fickle and weak and easily misled. Seeing God's love for man especially via the price that he paid to redeem them, the devil knows causing humans to be lost will really, quote-unquote, hit him where it hurts, so to speak. He said, that's my thinking from my studies, and I definitely think he's on to something there. I really do. When you know you can't beat God, when you have turned your face and your back you turn your face against God and your back upon God in His very presence because of your own selfish, prideful choices had every opportunity at your fingertips, it seems. Mm. What do you do? 
Well, you, you, you go after what God loves the most, humanity. Now, his most prized possession. Now, there are some things about angels and humans that I don't exactly understand. There's something that Scripture does make clear. Hebrews chapter 2, in describing how Jesus, how it's fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, for him to become man, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's, that's Christ, likewise shares in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now watch this statement by the Hebrews writer. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Aha! It may not say, say it in a lot of words, but that verse, Hebrews 2.16, tells me, there was not and is not a plan of salvation for the angels. And don't ask me why. I don't know. If you know of a verse that teaches why for sure, please send it my way. You can find me on social media. Or even verses that indicate possibly why. I'd, I'd be willing to consider. But what we know is that God does not give this salvific, this salvation aid to angels. He only gives it to the seed of of Abraham. And again, that would not be all humanity, but any and all of humanity who become Abraham's seed. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For you are all children or sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there's what I mean by Abraham's seed. If you by faith have been baptized into Jesus Christ after hearing the gospel and repenting of your sins, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, tied with Galatians 3.26-29. You've been baptized into Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and beneficiaries of the promises that God made to Abraham. Thus, Hebrews chapter 2. God has given aid to the descendants of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, but not... That would be the spiritual seed, by the way. But not to angels. Oh, the privileges of being in Christ and sharing in the blessings that result from the promises that God made to Abraham, that Christ purchased in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you, God in heaven. Well, I, I think that's about all I have. I just wanted to share some thoughts 
questions that I recently had, questions that I think I have asked multiple times in the past, and some things that I gathered from some of my friends that I trust and I know have a good knowledge of the Word of God, combined with things that I have thought. I just meshed all that together to make this, well, special episode. Uh, I did not share uh, the names of the responders because I didn't even ask for their permission to share their information to begin with. So <laughs> I know all of them. I don't think they're going to hold me to some copy copyright, but I did not mention their names, uh, so I don't have to quote them or get their permission, I don't think. Did you enjoy this episode? Did it make you think more deeply about our enemy, Satan? The Apostle Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, he wrote the epistle we call 1 Peter. Toward the very end of his letter, he emphasized how children of God are to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God that God may exalt you in due time. He gives this charge in humbling ourselves to cast our care, all our care, upon Him, for He cares for you. He gave further instruction about being sober and vigilant, watchful, because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then this charge, because you know this information, resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, the way I hear some people teach the so-called gospel, they speak like there's no hope against Satan. You can't defeat Satan, and God has to do it for you and all this. Folks, it's with God that we defeat Satan because of the work that Jesus has done, the position that we have in Christ as Christians, and the armor that he provides, if we will but take it up, if we will become it, become a part of who we are and take it up, we can resist him steadfast in the faith. We can. We can do that. No, we cannot do it on our own. I didn't say that, and I didn't indicate that. But it's not something that God does for us. It's something God provides when we follow His Word. Ephesians 6, verse 10 and following, We are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His strength or might. We're to put on the whole armor of God. If that's something God does for us, then, then Paul was wrong. Because Paul told the Christians at Ephesus to do it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. And then verse 13, take up. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 14, stand. Does God do that for you? Is God living your life for you or or you living your life for God? Are we living as, our, as Christians our life for God? Yes, on our own, no. But God doesn't do it for us. We have to make decisions. We have to desire. The love, the life, and the sacrifice of Jesus have to move us 
to make the right decisions based on God's Word, to put on the Christian armor. And I encourage you to go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 and study it closely and find those three things that you're to become all the time and those three things that he says to take up and use when the occasion arises. That might be another podcast. I hope this has been helpful, useful, enlightening, and even encouraging maybe at the end that we can, through Christ and the gospel, overcome Satan. If you think you're defeated, let me encourage you. Get back in the Word. Draw near to Christ. Draw near to God as James wrote. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. But before he wrote that, he wrote, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we must first submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you say, I'm drawing near to God, have you ever felt like you're drawing near to God, but you don't feel close to him? It could be because you're not submitting to God and what he commands you to do. Are you resisting the devil? Are you using what Christ has given you in the word, given us in the word to resist? Well, maybe we don't feel close because of that. If we are, God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than our feelings. And as our brother John wrote in 1 John 2, verse 3 and 4, no matter how we feel, we can know. Now, by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, do me a favor on Podbean or Spotify, whatever you find on there. Give me a rating, click like, give me a comment, interact with me. When you see it on social media, share it. That will help me so much. I'd appreciate that, and I'd love to see that. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.